you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. He sits right there as soon as the opera lady says it. That makes it official, boys and girls. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. For 15 years, we've been bringing you the smartest people in the world, not me, just everyone else. That's why we have guests on the show, people. Uh, the CEOs, the billionaires, the, the Pulitzer Prize winners, the White House advisors, the uh, you name it. Everybody has been on the show that's smart. Except for me, of course. I'm just an idiot with a mic that they put in here and propped me up for this seat. Uh, so anyway, guys, uh, we have an amazing guest coming up. We're going to be talking about reinventing yourself, rebirth, how to uh, how to how to change your life in so many different ways, as we do on the show. And this gentleman has done it not only from a career basis, but also from his own health body and uh, good looks basis. In fact, it was kind of funny. We we're joking before the show that he doesn't look like his LinkedIn profile. And I had to, I was like, wait, this is the same guy. Uh, so he needs to update his LinkedIn profile. As always, people use that LinkedIn because uh, uh, that leads me into the plugs and shaming. On LinkedIn, we have an amazing newsletter that grows like a, like a weed. I don't know. I don't know if that's a marketing term, but uh, I just became one. Uh, so go subscribe to LinkedIn.com at LinkedIn.com forward slash Chris Voss. Go to Goodreads.com forward slash Chris Voss. YouTube.com forward slash Chris Voss and Chris Voss one over there on the tickety talkie. You can check out that as well. Uh, today we are joined by a gentleman who has reinvented himself in multiple ways with an inspiring story. That if you don't leave inspired after this, you might want to listen to the podcast again because you definitely tuned out and weren't paying attention. Edwin Schwartz joins us on the show today. Uh, he is a gentleman who uh, talks about reinventing himself and his career uh, midlife at 40. Holy crap. He said, uh, I'm throwing it all out and I'm starting it over. So we're going to be discussing uh, his stuff. Uh, after 15 years in a high pressure sales environment, he literally quit his six figure job at age 40. Now he's been married for 20 plus years and he has two twin daughters. And this is what this guy did. And uh, he quit his six-figure job at age 40 to attend law school and never looked back. He talks about making big shifts in both career and fitness as well as being a parent and uh, being a good example. Your kids can follow, good or bad, and you only have one life, how to live it, and every second counts. I think we're going to be uh, transformed, informed, and uh, delighted and uh, excited by... Uh, by Edwin being on the show today. Did I just start rapping there? I don't know. Welcome to the show, Edwin. How are you? I'm great, Chris. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's good to be here. It's good to have you as well. I just turned into a excited, delighted. Did I just make a new theme for the show? Uh, so give us a .com so we can find you on the interwebs, please. Uh, the best place to find me is probably going to be on um, LinkedIn at Edwin Schwartz. That's E-D-W-I-N. S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z, or the gram, or Insta, as kids call it, Ed Schwartz uh, 87, Ed Schwartz 87. The gram, as the kids call it. Wow, this kid, this dude's hopping. He's hot. He's he, he knows the lingo of the kids. Of course, he has, you have two twin uh, daughters, correct? 
Yes, I do. Yes, I do. So you got to know what the gram is because uh, there's some wild stuff going on over there. Uh, make sure those girls are uh, minding themselves. I know that there's a there's a lot of girls putting themselves out on the gram, and I've got some friends that have uh, daughters that uh, they constantly have to talk to about the gram and go, "Okay, honey, some of this stuff that's uh, you know not real life over here." Like they have people paying to you know. Uh, I think it's in L.A. too. They have people paying uh, money where you can go sit in a fake set where you look like you're in a jet tube and it you know and then you have photos taken of you and, it, and you can put them on the gram and it makes everyone think that you're you know living the high life the kardashian life so there you go so edwin give us a thirty thousand overview of who you are and what you do currently sure i'm an attorney um based out of costa mesa california uh, i used to be in the car business for a, quite a long time um before making the switch to do that as an attorney, I defend landlords and do civil litigation, trial work. It's, what I do is probably going to put your audience to sleep, but the fact that I do it uh, has been a great thing. I love what I do and what I was doing beforehand. I was making good money at it, but uh, it was never really my thing, and I just knew I needed to get out as soon as my kids were born, and so I made the switch, uh -huh. and I'm glad that I did. There you go. Now, you've done a few things in life. You've overcome uh, issues with alcohol. We're going to get into that. Uh, so kind of a, a bit of a redemption story. Uh, and uh, did you did you make this switch at 40 when your daughters came along? Was that was that the that was that the proponent? Primarily, yeah. I you know, like I said, I've been the car business for a long time. I was a sales manager at the time at a BMW store. Um, uh -huh. And then switched over to uh, to Lexus. Those were the two brands that I sold for. I could look at my colleagues, with all due respect to them, who many of whom I care about very much. But I just saw lots of divorce, and I saw lots of nights and weekends, and I never seeing their kids grow up. And my wife and I went through a lot to be able to have our children. Uh -huh. uh, we did surrogacy. Uh, maybe that's topic for another day. But like, I I wanted to be a dad very badly, and I just knew I was going to miss them growing up if I stayed in the job that I had. Uh, uh, so I needed to make a switch. So tell us about your upbringing, because you've, you've done a little bit of reinvention time as you've gone. Uh, what was your upbringing like and, and some of the journey? Let's talk about uh, getting sober, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So I grew up in Palm Springs, California. My parents, my dad was a lawyer. It's probably one of the reasons why I stayed away from it for so long. Um, my brother, my brother-in-law, my ex-brother. I got a lot of lawyers in the family, which is <laughs> you avoided the the family yeah. uh, thing there for a while. Well, you know what? Um, with all due respect to them, they, nobody ever seemed that happy, and so I just assumed that being a lawyer meant not being happy. And it wasn't until I got older <laughs> and some of my friends that I grew up with, uh, who loved being lawyers, shout out to Carl Schlecht, um, you know, inspired me that uh, maybe maybe it was just maybe it was just them and not the profession. Uh, that was making them unhappy. But yeah, I grew up in Palm Springs. Um, it was a it was a very nice back uh, growing up. You know, I was adopted. I don't remember the age that I was when I was brought home. Oh, wow. uh, so my adopted parents have always been my parents. But I grew up, you know, kind of privileged in a country club, and things came easy for me in school. Uh, my parents owned a liquor store, which supplied a lot of my addiction. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. You know, and then I went off to um, went off to college and quickly screwed that up very, very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you yeah, grew up in maybe a little bit of privilege going on there, and and uh, yeah. uh, kind of maybe some rebellion against the uh, 
against the uh, parental society and uh, a bit rebellious, maybe. I, I think as much as you, as much as I could be, yeah. Um, and you know, it, it was one of those things where I was, I got my work done, I got great grades, um, I was able to participate in sports, I had a lot of friends, um, but I could party, and I loved partying, and, and I did it. And quite frankly, until it stopped working, once I got to college, um, it stopped working very quickly. So <laughs> that's so here we are. There you go. Uh, but uh, so were you, let me ask you this, were you addicted to drinking and had to totally, you know, quit and go to AA for all your life or uh, were you just abusing it? Great question. So, I mean, when you're 19 years old, it's kind of hard to really know. I was able to look at some different points in my life, my brief seven year drinking period. Like I started drinking when I was 12. Well, I started my first story my parents tell me is before I can even remember, they had parties in the 70s with martinis. And I would go around the tables where people would leave their glass <laughs> down for and I would just drink the martinis. Wow. Now, how old are you at this age? I think I was probably four or five. I don't remember it, but my mom tells the story all the time. Now, what kind of parents are these? No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> you know, grew up, uh, yeah, what can I tell you? Was it the 70s, I guess? Yeah, the 70s, at that age it was, and then yeah. we got into the 80s, and yeah. you remember, like, we're, yeah. about the, we're about the same age. Yeah, I just went to cocaine in the 80s, pretty much. Yes. There you go. And that was, and, and really, the, the cocaine is what brought me down quickly. Oh. I mean, very, wow. very quickly. So, wow. I, you know, yeah. And did you have a chip on your shoulder? Did you have a true rebellion against, you know, your parents being attorneys? You're like, I'm not doing what my those people did my parents did uh and, and let me ask you this if you don't mind um when when children are adopted you know sometimes they have this feeling that they were rejected or they have this kind of thing that haunts over them or they or they have a they have a thing like why didn't my parents love me why didn't they why weren't they into me why did they reject me where are they and like to maybe reconcile with them was that any of that going on in your head was that any of the sort of things that were maybe contributing to your issues or did that bother you at all i mean when i was younger i think subconsciously that was there for sure issues of abandonment you know why did they give me up i found out five or six years ago what the real story was oh, wow. i was adopted through the la county adoption agency uh, my parents were told a particular story that I grew up with, you know, like birth parents got, they hooked up too young and they were just too young to have kids. And so they wanted you to go to a nice family. And so I did, I went to a very nice family. I'm, I'm super grateful for everything that my parents did. I wasn't outwardly rebellious toward my parents. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't like hate them. I, I love them tremendously. Yeah. Uh, my dad has passed away. My mom is 95. She lives 10 minutes from us. You know, I see her twice a week. Um, so all of that was good, but I always had this deep seated belief of I wasn't good enough. Yeah. Um, and I had issues of, of abandonment and rejection for sure. I think even still to this day, sometimes that comes creeping back up and I knew that drinking filled a hole, uh, somewhere in my soul for that. Uh, and you know, frankly, it w I was able to do it for a while and not suffer any negative adverse consequences. So I was, I was like a happy drunk and, and had a good time doing it. But you asked earlier, like, how did you know? And I remember one summer, so we grew up in Palm Springs. It's hot as it's hot AF out there, right? And so in the summertime, we'd go out to Oceanside, uh, California, right on the beach. And I was at a bonfire one night. I was, I think, 12 and got hammered, <laughs> drank a lot, smoked a lot of weed, 
I'd come home and like, you know, go straight to my room, fall asleep. The next morning I had a horrible hangover, but my parents sat me down and they're like, Hey, we know you look a little older. I think we lost you there, Edwin, a little bit. We'll get Edwin back here. There he is. Got you back. Right. The best part. Now you're going to have to. Yeah, you you left us in limbo there, uh, suspense. <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's the best way that you do a story, right? Yeah, and, yeah. But they sat me down and they said, hey, look, if you want to have a beer or two when you are um, hanging out with these older kids, that's fine. And I remember looking them straight in the eye and saying, I'm not drinking to fit in. I love getting drunk. Now, at the time, that didn't register. Hey, maybe that's a sign of a problem drinker. Uh, but when I... Looked back, right? I, I, I went to USC, as I mentioned earlier. I got suspended for a year. I got in trouble um, for engaging in a, a business opportunity. I was selling, I, you know, I sold drugs out of my dorm room is essentially what happened. Ah, business opportunity. Then I stopped, yeah. but uh, my associate kept doing it, and we both got busted together. That's really oh, the <laughs> quick there, story. There so, although I had stopped, you know, whatever. I ended up paying a price for it. I got suspended for a year, but in, and they said, Hey, you got to go to rehab. I was like, rehab. I don't have a problem. I don't have to go to rehab, but I did for outpatient for a whole year. And after about eight or nine months of not drinking and not smoking and not doing blow, et cetera, I had some clarity and the clarity is critical. I was like, things have gotten so much better. Why would I give this up? I was in Los Angeles at the time when I got sober my first several years. You mentioned AA. I went to a lot of AA meetings. Uh, I loved cocaine, so I also went to Cocaine Anonymous meetings. Um, for the probably the first 10 years or so, I went to a lot of meetings. And then, you know, you, I don't want to say you get better because that's I never I don't, I don't believe in that. I believe once you're an addict, you're kind of always an addict, you're an alcoholic. But life goes on. You learn how to cope. You, I could be around people that are drinking and partying. And, and, you know, I go to, I was at a concert two weeks ago, at, uh, kind of a metalhead show, Revenge Sevenfold, although they did cancel that show because the guy got sick, but whatever. Oh, man. Um, and, and I, I can be around it and it's not a problem. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But it took a while to get there. It took a while to get there. And then once you establish some time, mm -hmm. you don't want to F that up. Yeah. You know, like, well, what, what if I could handle a drink? Okay. Let's suppose for a moment I could handle the drink right now. Well, what do I gain? I mean, I guess I gain the ability to find out, but if I'm wrong, yeah, I just blew 35, 35 years. I'm not fucking that up. I, I had a girlfriend who, uh, I drank heavily for 20 years, but for me it was a fuel, you know, I was running three multiple companies, we started over 27 companies over time, over my lifetime. I, well, I think it's more than that. That was up until 2008. Um, and for me, it was a fuel. Like, I needed to stay up later to work and try and do stuff. And I was living this crazy life of three different companies in three different states and and traveling all over the place, multiple houses, multiple cars. I had a BMW parked at a given airport at any given time. And my BMW short-term uh, parking for one of my BMWs was usually uh, most people's mortgage, um, and it was an insane life. And 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 of course, w w one of my main uh, play I would work in Utah and live in Vegas, uh, especially during the weekends. And uh, the partying I did was quite extensive. And I don't gamble, um, so uh, I, I live this 
crazy, insane life, and alcohol was the fuel. Now, I never had a problem. I didn't get the shakes if I didn't if I ran out of vodka or anything. I just feel like I'll get some tomorrow or t- the next day. I just I'm a lazy drunk, but for me, it was a fuel. It was like sugar, uh, and uh, so I. Uh, you know, my friends would, they were addicts to, you know, some sort of thing, you know, they get the Joneses and the shakes and all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm fine then. You know, I, I knew I was abusing myself with it, but I was abusing myself. So it was abuse. Uh, and God, it feels so much better not drinking. I gave it up, what, at 2020, 2020, 2021, I kind of had to, my body was just like, fuck you. We're not doing this with you anymore. We're just not doing it. You want to drink for a few hours? Uh, hey, we're going to make you dehydrated for three uh, days and bloated and uh, just we're just going to fuck you up. And uh, finally, you know, the math just came home where you're just like, you know, this isn't worth the hangovers, you know. And you got you get to a point at 50 where you're like, you know, you have a, two beers and you got a hangover. And you're like, what the fuck? And I'd started listening to my body. Of course, uh, I lost weight and uh, started eating well and, you know, started really ha- hearing what my body was telling me. But I'm glad you went through this transition. Oh, what I, what I prefaced that with uh, in my segue, I got too many segues going on there, was uh, there was a time in my life where I dated a wonderful young lady who had had alcohol ism problem and it was a uh, part of it came from her father uh sadly but she had a real problem when she would drink her physiology would change uh and she ended up it ended up killing her in the end but i tried doing the right thing as a as a man and going to aa with her and i went twice and the stories i heard at aa are what changed my mind and maybe had to decide that this isn't going to be my life and it has to be her life um but it's not my journey and uh, during that, I would see these guys, and I'd go in, and I'd listen to AA, because I was trying to support her in her AA, and these guys would talk about how they were living under a Vidoc, they lost everything, they're down on Skid Row in LA, and then they quit drinking, they get their shit together, they get a job, they get a wife, they get the kids, they, they're doing the right thing as a man, being a provider and protector, and then just one day, they pick up a drink, and two weeks a month disappear, and they're back under the Vidoc after 20 years of building themselves. So, and and sometimes that was like multiple stories. Like they they went around two or three times, and you know now they were back on the thing. And I just sat there in AA going, Mother God, you know, God bless these people, and God bless that they're doing this, but. This is this is some hard shit, and the fact that you can just maybe go in one day, pick up a drink, and you're like, ah, oh, a drink, and then you know, I mean, I had friends that uh, they would if they went back to the booze, if they picked up a drink, they'd have two to three weeks disappear, and they wake up half naked in some bar in fucking Mexico, and they're like, how the hell did I get here from Utah? <laughs> I should probably write some stories about that in my book. So, yeah, God bless you. But you know what? You're so much more healthier for it because of it. It's such a toxin, actually, for your body. Yeah. It's, like I said, after a certain amount of clarity, like you experienced, right? You stopped doing it. You started taking care of yourself. Once you start doing that, um, whether you you know have an addictive personality or not, you just, you want to take care of yourself. And then when you do occasionally mess up and, ingest some bad stuff whatever that is your body does not reward you right? <laughs> not, a, not at our age anymore well, I like, 
Everybody's like, Taco Bell? Yeah, enjoy some uh, sewer pain there. You're going to have fun. Um, so at what point does your – you've been married for how many years now? 23. 23 years. And at what did, – did your uh, – marry your wife come in as, as a proponent for uh, shaping your life up a little bit? I mean, by the when I met her, I had been sober for a while, and there you go. on our on our very first date, uh, we go to a restaurant in Del Mar, California, and I'm thinking, you know, I got to get her a glass of wine or something, right? It's a yeah. social lubricant. I want to make out with her after this dinner's over. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, here's the wine list. What would you like? Uh, and she said, what are you gonna have? Well, I'm not gonna have anything. You have a drink. <laughs> and she's like, really? That's so interesting. I get sick when I drink. I won't have a drink tonight either. And I was she like, are you sure? Really? Are you sure? Wow. Yeah. And so really since, I mean, since our, unless she's been sneaking it and that's, I don't think she, that's not who she is, but our first date in nine, October, actually October of 1996, I don't remember the specific date, but I think I should get some credit for the month and the year. A lot of guys wouldn't remember that, but that was uh, our first, ever since then she has not had a drink. And so it's been an interesting contrast, right? Because here's somebody who we would call an A, a normie, a normal person who just decides, yeah, I don't want that stuff. It makes me sick. I don't need it. The guy I support, uh, he, he doesn't do it. And, you know, here we are 20, what, gosh, 28 years later since I first met her. Congratulations, bro. You know, Thanks. that's the thing that's weird about me where I, I date still at 35 or 35 years I've been dating. Um, and uh at 55 you know i meet people and they, and they do that we do that conversation over dinner uh do you drink no oh you you have a problem <laughs> no i don't have a problem i just i just don't it just feels you know if i want a great hangover tomorrow i'll drink sure and then i'll be sitting there and my waking up with you know my eyes all bloody and my brain beaten and my body's like fuck you um you know and then i'll get on the scale and there's three pounds of water and you know, I, the bloating just, I really started feeling the bloating. Like, I will, if I drink, I will put on water. My body overcompensates, and I'll put on like three or four pounds of water. And you'll feel it too. You're like, oh my God, what did I, did it put it all into my cells? You know? And, uh, and then you just drag. Like I started feeling the drag from from being dehydrated and your body's trying to clean it out of your system and stuff and and I just would feel it in my body for three you know you, when you eat stuff it takes time to process through your body and so when you drink it takes time for your body to to handle all that shit and so I just I just started feeling it and I'm like you know what. I, I, I really like waking up every day and doing my podcast and being on the money and having energy and I just like how I feel. And, uh, you know, I mean, you're 20, you can rebound through it and stuff. But, uh, you know, I, even though at 55, though, I got to tell you, I can feel all the drinks I took and all the Las Vegas partying I did <laughs> some days. Uh, so take care of yourself, people. That's the message. So uh, at some point you have... Your two daughters, your twins, and I think those are the those are the kids that you have, right? Two daughters, they're twins, because that's enough, right there with twins. Correct, and quite frankly, we felt first of all, like I said at the start of the podcast, it took a while to to get them right through surrogacy, um, and then we also didn't want to be outnumbered, you know. <laughs> Got two, one, two parents, two kids. It's plenty. Like we're we're not increasing the population. 
net net wise, right? We're not decreasing it, but yeah, we can manage yeah, that. Yeah. And they're expensive. I mean, I live in yeah. Southern California for God's sakes. And my kids go to Starbucks and they wear Lululemon oh, and they're screwed. you know, I mean, holy cow. Yeah. yeah. Now what what age were you when you had the two daughters? Uh thirty seven, I think. Damn, dude. That's something else. I had a friend about thirty five, thirty three. He had his first kids because uh, you know we used to party, and uh, he finally got around to having his first kids, and he had twin boys. Mm. And I visited him for a week one time when I traveled, and I would see the diaper thing that he would hold up from from a day. Diaper genie. Yeah, and he was like, he's like Chris. I know why people have great kids when they're in their twenties, man. He goes at 30, man, trying to do this, and then with twins, and I'm like, yeah, dude, whatever. So twins are hard. They're, they're, that's a challenge, you know? Most parents, you know, they just get one at a time, and then they kind of get through that first gauntlet. And uh, But he's like, he's like, yeah, the one, we get the one asleep, and then the other one wakes up and starts crying and wakes the other one up, and it's like a tag team, like, all day long. <laughs> so that's quite the journey you went on. So at what point of having your daughters do we hit the mark at 40 where you go, hey, I'm going to just totally throw my career out that, that I built and I'm going to go to college? And, and what's it like? What does the wife say at that point? Is she like on board or is she like, what is this guy doing? Uh, maybe a little bit of both. Um, <laughs> I mean, she, she also comes from a long line of lawyers, right? Ah. Her dad, her brother, her uncle, her, uh, her cousins. Uh, there's, I mean, we're Jewish. Like, there's just a bunch of lawyers in the family. What can I? What can she's I like, she's like, uh, if this guy screws it up, I know some divorce lawyers that right. can go. Right. So, um, when I was pushing into thirty, right, ten years earlier, mm -hmm. um, the car business was a good business for me. I just, I'll yeah. say that. But nobody really goes. Nobody graduates high school or you know graduates college thinking I'm going to be in a car business unless their dad owns a car dealership, which oddly enough is not my case. Although, although Chris, I found out when I sang it, you know, I found out my real birth story. Um, apparently, the birth father, um, whose name I guess for the protection of his family will go unnamed at the moment, but owned a dealership up in Santa Barbara. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, shit, you not. Um, you so I guess it was in my blood. What's that? Did you know that when you were young? No, through the magic of Ancestry.com, um, uh, we were able to piece that shit together, right? That, I mean, oh. DNA, you put it into the system, they can find serial killers, and they found my birth father. So well, I mean, at least they didn't find I was a serial killer, because that's right. no fun usually. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, but anyway, so um, I, I, I thought about going back to law school when I was coming up on 30, but then I thought, my God, you know, it's, that's a lot of school. And then I'll be in my early 30s as a new lawyer. Everybody I know is 10 years younger. That's like, who's going to hire me? And that's so old. And then, dude, 10 years. Yeah, you like that. So how long did you have to, did you have to, had you gone to college? Because I know like one of the things that holds me back from going to get a law degree right now, because I, I, I go get one. In fact, I always tell people if I could go back to being 20, even though I started my first company, 18, I would go get a law degree because it's just so, it's such a great thing. And I really love the aspect of the law. Um, but also it's so versatile. I mean, you can use it for so many different things. Um, you know, you can go be a politician if you want, you can, you know, advise big corporations. You can, uh, I probably would have been a divorce attorney because 
man, I just what a great business that's become, especially when they when they uh, legalize gay marriage. When I when our gay marriage was being legalized, I'm like, damn it, I should have been a divorce attorney because they just doubled their business right there. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, uh, so yeah, it's I and and the aspect of law is so cool to me. Uh, you know, you learn that when you when you make money and you hit a certain level of of uh, I don't want to call it rich, but when you when you make a certain level of money, you learn that rich people do war like they used to be doing medieval times, but they do it through the courts, and so shakedown lawsuits, uh, you know, all sorts of crap. Everyone sues you because you're rich. Um, why did you sue me? Cause you have money. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks. Great. Your employees pull shit with you. You know, I had a sales organization too. So salespeople love to fight over money and, and, uh, commissions and, and play, you know, you, you always have some guy who's you know, he's the guy who's the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he, he, he's the problem drinker who drinks the crown Royal. So he's that guy. If you ever meet him. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it's just, I, I had these, I had these sales guys that were great. I mean, you, you were in the car business for all these years. You guys, you know, those guys, the sales guys who are doing blow and cocaine off hookers and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> calling you from the road or you have to go bail them out of jail, uh, or you have to go pick them up at the bar, you know, and these guys, you're making 20 to 40 grand off of them. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta go cover their ass, but they're the greatest salesman in the world. But, uh. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I feel you in what goes on there and, and yeah, I mean, even at this age, I would go back and do it, but, um, I was, I prefaced this before I segued that uh, there's a lot of segue going on the show. Um, did you have to go to full college or did you, had you done some college and you just had to go back and get the law part done? A great question. So when I graduated high school, I went straight to, to, um, college. And so even though I got suspended for a year, I still did my time, so to speak, at community college, Santa Monica City College, which was, believe it or not, was an outstanding school. I'm having an opportunity to compare it to uh, to USC, which USC at the at the time was a lot easier to get in, by the way. But so I had already had a, um, a an undergraduate degree, and so I just had to go to law school. Um, but you know, it's not just going to law school; it's a lot of work, man. I was um, yeah, it is. I, it's I, not I, easy. I did a, I did a part-time program through a school down here in San Diego called California Western. Um, it was probably three or four units shy of a full-time. So even though it was part-time, it was a lot, man. Yeah. And so for and you're raising two, you know, yeah. uh, or two, well, yeah, they weren't teenagers at the time, but two twins. Daughters. Right. I mean, the first year and a half of law school, I would say I was seven days a week. I was either in school mm-hmm. at work or in school. And then at work, I mean, mm-hmm. for, a year and a half straight. And then finally I realized, you know, I think I'm going to like this lawyer thing. I'm going to take some time off from work. I enjoy just being a student before I got to pop out and start grinding again after, after I get out of school. But so I had the degree and then went, um, had the undergraduate degree and then went and got the law school degree, but it was really driven primarily by my desire. People laugh when they say this because lawyers work a lot of hours, but like, I wanted to spend more time with my kids. Yeah. Um, my dad always took, um, you can't see it off camera, but like I got law books over here. I got case files over there. There's my law degree in the background somewhere over there. Um, you can do it at home. I mean, you're in the car business, man. You, you can't, I, I can't sell a car from my house and get the full deal. Like you have to be at the dealership. I can't be a manager or a finance guy 
um, or an internet guy from my house in the car business. You have to be there. Sure. And so the logging sure. an opportunity to do that from home and not necessarily work my own hours, but more have control over when I'm able to work those hours. And quite frankly, you know, I was selling BMWs and I was selling Lexus and who yeah. buys that shit? Guys like you, right? Like you yeah. just said, you had a bunch of cars at every airport or whatever. BMWs, yeah. And so I was able to see everybody's finances, even though somebody comes in and wants to buy a car, say for cash, we don't just give it to them and hope that they're being truthful. Like we run a credit report and we look at their bank statements and we find out what they do. And so I could see who was making the most money on a consistent basis. And I got to tell you, um, lawyers do fairly well. And so I thought, all right, they're going to make good money. And the other thing I noticed in sales, maybe you experienced this with the people that you that used to work for you. I don't know. They prize youth and energy in most businesses, but in law, they still want some energy, <laughs> but the, the youth part is not prized. I mean, it's yeah. the opposite. The longer you're an attorney, the more valuable, the more experience that you have. So I knew two things. One, I'm not smart enough, unfortunately, to be able to figure out how to get rich fast and retire and never work again. I'm going to be grinding it out until I'm probably in my 80s. Uh, that's just the way it's going to be. So what job can I do that will allow me to continue to do that and be valuable as I do that? Being a lawyer. Being right? a lawyer. I mean, that's That was it. And your wife probably stuck with you because she's like, I know how much money lawyers make because I'm from a family of lawyers and I'll stick it out with this guy. He's probably got some potential. <laughs> it's, it's funny because she's like, you're going to go to law school and you're going to meet some hot young lawyer lady and then leave. Uh -oh. And then I thought, you know, I mean, you're going to get tired of uh, me always being at the being at the library. I'm at the library, but is he really at the library? I mean, he says he's studying. I don't know. Uh, but we were able to get through that, you know, and our kids were young, like we, yeah. you know, she was working full time. And so we, we were able to make that work. One of the messages and what I wanted to talk about, in addition to making the big changes, you got to have a support system. It, yeah. It's ideal if you have some sort of support system. Um, you don't have to, but it worked for me. I had a, a have a wife, a spouse who was very supportive. Uh, and allowed me to go do what I had to do. I did not get those calls like, hey, it's 1130 and you're still at the library. Where are you? Um, you know, it was just like, all right, come home when you go, come home. And, you know, th there was a lot of trust there. And it, it would have been a lot more difficult to do that if that wasn't there. So I'm, I'm very grateful and very lucky that way. But you got to have a good support system and you got to make the decision. Like, look, I knew that I wanted to get to this goal, which was my arms off, kick your camera. It's that far away, right? This far out there goal. I didn't know if I was going to get in. I didn't want to take the law school test. It's like a three or four hour test. The, the law, LSA, L, LSAS, law school admission test. Um, I didn't know if I'd get in. School. I didn't know if I'd survive my first semester, right? I mean, I could do all of this and tell everybody I'm going to law school and then get cut after the first semester. I mean, I didn't know. And then even if you get your degree, like you talked about getting the degree, that doesn't mean shit really for most people if you don't have a license to practice law. So you got to pass the bar. Why yeah. take it's California, man. That test is fucking hard. Yeah, hard. I mean, it took Kim Kardashian, <laughs> what, like seven times or something? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I know I know a few people that has taken more than more than once, and I didn't want to be that guy. My dad passed the first time. My brother passed the first time. <laughs> my brother-in-law passed the first time. I was not going to be the guy that didn't pass the first time. But my point is, you take the best next step. What is the next? I got to take that fucking LSAT test. And if I don't get good enough uh, score on that, then it doesn't matter because I'm not going to get in school. And then I passed or, you know, I got a particular score. It wasn't great, but it was good enough to get in. 
then you got to show up and then you got to get through, you know, that first semester. And it's not like you got midterms, like in my school anyway, everything rides on your final exam. So you write this giant tuition check, which was really a student loan that I'm going to be paying for forever. And then oh, you, know, you got the student it. loan. Yeah. Oh, they're gigantic, gigantic. <laughs> but, you know, that's what I needed to do to do it. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that's on me, man. But well, I mean, you're 40. I mean, you're well, you're probably you're 40 when you go back to school. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you've you've I mean, you you're paying for kids and, you know, you know uh, house and mortgage and all that sort of stuff being married. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I mean, that's expensive. And but I mean, you're still I mean, the challenge of you taking well, taking on the challenge of reinventing your whole life midstream, if you would, uh, for most men, uh, then, you know, cr- props to you, man. I mean, you're, 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 I'm sure you're on the better side where you're living a better life overall. And, and yeah, I mean, you're, you're paying a price for it, but, uh, you know, attorneys make good money. So, uh, there you go. Just sue the hell out of more people. <laughs> we actually do a lot of defense. If it wasn't oh, for the guys okay. following the lawsuit, more people, then. you know, we wouldn't have the opportunity to defend. It was interesting. So we got my wife a new car a few weeks ago. Right. And so I'm back at this dealership that I used to work at. And I'm seeing some people that I used to work with who, you know, are dear to me and I care about them. Yeah. But <clears throat> I had this feeling of, ah, I fucking, I escaped. I got out of there, man. <laughs> it's just such, it was such a good feeling. And then last night, this, I've been a lawyer now for over 10 years, right? I've uh-huh. been doing, you know, law school. I started in 2010 and I never really have dreams or nightmares really about being a lawyer, but I've always had this dream, this nightmare that haunts me where, It's like the middle of the month. I got two and a half cars out. I got like 700 bucks made. I got to get to 10 grand for the month to be able to pay my bills. Oh my God, I'm going to get fired. What's happening? I had it again last night (laughs) and I haven't sold cars in a very long time, man. But there's this perpetual fear of uh, having to, to hit your monthly targets. It's just, it's such, it's such an interesting thing. Yeah. You got to make your sales goals. Otherwise they cut you. And but, hey, everything uh, is sales, right? I and mean, wouldn't you agree? Even though I'm a lawyer, you say, well, okay, you don't have to sell anymore. That's not true. Not true I got yeah. monthly billable hours. We got to generate clients. The clients got to pay like sales is everything. Between yeah. having a law degree because law covers everything. Yeah. And having a sales background, is, it's a great combination. I highly recommend it for people, even if they don't become salespeople or lawyers. That's the one challenge lawyers have is they don't teach them the business part of it. They didn't used to teach them the business part of it. Some of the lawyers we've had said they're working on it now in, in law school, but they don't teach them the business part of it. And I remember when I was when I was dealing with my attorneys back in the day, uh, and uh, you know that was back in the Yellow Pages day. And if you didn't own that back Yellow Pages thing, man, the back cover of the Yellow Pages, and I talked to them like it, when when new marketing was starting to come in, like social media, they're like, "Yeah, we're not really allowed to ambulance chase. Like, we, the, we marketing for us is like ambulance chasing." And I'm like, "Well, how the hell do you guys, you know?" you got to go get the business. How do you guys do it? And uh, I think a lot of things have changed now with the rules and regulations for attorneys to be able to market and advertise and, and ambulance chase, if you will. Uh, but uh, uh, it's it's a challenge. And you're always selling. That's what people don't get in life. You know, I meet people and they're like, oh, I don't like sales. And I'm like, you, you convince your girlfriend or wife to stay with you every day and, and maybe convince them to, you know, feed you and nurture you. Uh, you know, that's selling. 
We sell ourselves to people on dates. We sell ourselves to the world, the cars we drive, the things we, you know, the whole Fight Club line, uh, the cars we drive, the things we buy, the clothes we wear. We're constantly selling who we are. Um, and uh, people don't realize it. It's like you're selling, you know. You know, if you're a young girl who wants attention and validation, you're putting yourself on a dating app or posting on Instagram, you're selling. Everyone's selling. And so it's funny people don't get that, hey, sales is life, technically, really, when it comes down to it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it, so you go through this, you become a successful uh, attorney. What sort of area uh, do you cover now? You said you defend people in law. Yeah, I mean, I, I do civil litigation or trial work, although really not a lot of cases go to trial these days. A lot of things tend to settle. Uh, but I defend landlords from their tenants when their tenants sue them. We do um, commercial and residential. We do business litigation. Defend employers when their employees sue them. You know, that's that's what we do. Yeah, I've seen I've seen sexy stuff, man. The sexy stuff, I've seen those. Like oh, the favorite thing of our of our uh, of our salespeople in our mortgage business back in the day was they would uh, they would they would write a bunch of business, but usually the average was fifty percent of it would actually close. The rest of it would fall apart because you know in the business mortgage business you've got you know maybe there's a title problem from a divorce decree or maybe their credit turns out to be crap or you know something comes up something on the property and et cetera et cetera. So there's a million ways to kill a mortgage deal, but they they notoriously if if we had some sort of blowout where they would quit or get fired, sometimes someone would offer them more money and they'd leave. They would notoriously sue us for one hundred percent of their book that they'd written and you know whatever was open and shake us down it was shakedown lawsuits and i would be like are you serious like you know that 50 percent of this business it won't close you know that you know i mean jesus if they if they'd written an application just fill out the name and phone number and they hadn't acquired all the documents they would still put that in the bag i mean you shake down stuff i mean i just i just learned when you get money in life people shake you the fuck down um and I actually had somebody say that to me. I go, why did you pull this off of me? Because you're rich. I'm like, are you fucking serious? Are you serious as hell? So fortunately, I met some evil attorneys over the years. And uh, that changed the game for me. But uh, And now I, I can do that stuff without having a law degree. But uh, yeah. so w do you have any thoughts on uh, that Airbnb chick that's stuck, in, uh, that's stuck in that house? in I think it's in L.A. Have you heard that story? I have not, but if it's in Los Angeles, I feel bad for whoever owns the property because that place, that's where all my cases are venued. And Los Angeles yeah. is a, a tenant's dream and a landlord's absolute nightmare. There you go. I uh, You'll have to Google it after the show or else I have to send you a link. But there's a, there's a chicken. This is her second time, but evidently she finally found that she finally found the right victim. But she's been squatting in Airbnb, two Airbnbs. And the first, the first one, they finally got her out. The second one, I think she's in L.A. And the L.A. rules are working for her. And uh, she's been in there for over a year. And she's actually demanding the guy pays her a hundred grand shakedown fee to get the hell out of her. <laughs> to get the hell out and he won't pay it but then there's some bs code where he, they've cited him for failing as a landlord and she gets free rent because i don't know he didn't get the bathroom freaking you know papered right or whatever the hell it is <laughs> you're laughing you know the rules in la 
Yeah, I'll have to send you have to read it. It's it's extraordinary. Um but yeah, it's been all over the news and and uh she's like a she's like a total squatter living in this mansion. You know, it's like expensive as hell. So uh, you you help people do that. Um, at what point do you you uh, reinvent your health because you look kind of doughy a little bit? I'll be honest in your in your uh, LinkedIn thing, you look a little bit healthy, a little doughy. But at what point do you start working on your health and your body? And and for those of you who uh, don't understand what I'm saying, I've got a picture of him on Podmatch where he's look all schvelt and he's got the cut uh, six pack and uh, arms and. The chest. I mean, the ladies. You know, you probably walk down the street, and ladies throw their throw stuff at you. Um, I, I I do get hit on. Um, with all due respect to my wife, who I love very much, um, it's much better to be fit than it is to not be fit. I can just yeah. tell you that. She um, you know, anytime soon. I I was in the throes of COVID, right? So it's the end of twenty twenty. We're all at home. The gyms are all closed. But before that, let me just say. I've always been genetically. I'm lucky. I've always been thin. I mean, I'm six foot two. I've never weighed more than 197 pounds, which is the absolute heaviest I've ever been. I'm at 190 right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had probably 19% body fat at the time, as you said, right? Kind of doughy. So I was skinny fat. I would go to the gym for a few weeks and then I'd either get you know, get a cold or, you know, something gets sore and I'm like, ah, okay, I'm going to stop going. And so I paid for years to LA fitness for a membership that I just did not use, but I didn't (laughs) want to cancel it because that meant quitting and I'm not a quitter and I'm going to go one of these days. But so now we're in, um, towards the end of 2020, it's COVID and I was on TikTok and I'm scrolling through and I see this guy named Clark Bartram, who's now my good friend of mine. He's my fitness coach. He lives 20 minutes away from me. And uh, he's got this thing called three moves, three minutes. Like, hey, you know, just do you know one move for one minute. You do three moves in three minutes. I'm now, like, for most married guys, this is their sex life. One move, 45 seconds, I think. Oh, oh yeah, married so. life. <laughs> this is why I'm still single after you have 55, folks. Anyway, uh, married jokes aside. But so uh, there, there were two things that happened specifically. One was, and this is what sort of led me to find Clark on TikTok. I was going to put my underwear on one day, you know, not not to be graphic, but, you know, you got to lean forward and lift your leg up to slide your leg into the hole there. Uh-huh. And I threw my back out. Like, oh, my God, this is this is embarrassing. Um, and then the second thing was one of my daughters, we talked about that earlier, my twin daughters, they are athletes. One's a volleyballer, one plays softball. Uh-huh. Uh, I was always pushing them to do more, be more, lift more, et cetera. She, um, she was probably 10 at the time. She went to put her hand around my bicep and not like, Hey, let's see how big dad's bicep. But it was like, Oh my God, I can almost get my hand around your entire bicep, dad. <laughs> yeah. Like, guilt and shaming will do it to you. <laughs> oh man. I've had it was some brutal. Step, I've had some pseudo, I had a pseudo stepdaughter one time when I was engaged and she came in at three one time while I was dressing for, uh, to go to work and I had a really nice suit on. Uh, you know, I had all my suits custom made and she comes in one day and she, she actually started doing it. It became a thing, but she comes in one day and she looks at me and she goes, you're going to wear uh, that tie with that suit. <laughs> <laughs> like you got to love women. And I looked oh, at her, good. I'm like, what do you know? You're freaking three. Get out of here. And she's like, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. She'd do that whenever I didn't match up. She's going, you sure going to wear that with that? And I'm like, 
man, they 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 start young, man. Three years old, they're they're guilt and shame and and uh, negotiating uh, their stuff there. It, so, it doesn't stop, and they get better each year. They oh, they have a, they have a way yeah. of hoodwinking you. I mean, your daughters are what eleven now? You said? Uh, no, now they're they're sixteen. They're gonna they're be sixteen in a couple you're, of you're, weeks. They're eleventh grade. They're in eleventh grade. Yeah, you're completely screwed. Oh, eleventh grade. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're screwed. You're so screwed. Right. Um, but uh, hang in there, buddy. It gets better, evidently. But uh, I think you have to. I think the teens, the dating whole thing is. I I, I don't know how I'd ever handle that as a man. But, it's uh, um it's something I try not to think about. So that's 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 you know you stick your head in the sand. That's that's one way to do it. I think about what I was like at that age, and um, <clears throat> I was talking to my wife about this you know, a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, look, they're straight A students, they're athletes, good. they're great kids. Yeah, they're on their phones a lot. Every kid is these days. Yeah, their room's not as clean as we would like <clears throat> to be. But you know what? They're good kids, and and I got to tell you, they haven't done any of the shit that I did by the time I was their age. So I figure, and I did that stuff with girls, right? Yeah. And so I figured it's a win, man. I'm ahead of the game. <laughs> I've survived middle school, the first couple of years of high school and all the trauma and drama that that can bring my, my kids. Um, I give them a lot of, uh, a lot of rope, so to speak, to see if they're going to hang themselves with it. And they just, they're great kids. So I'm, I'm very lucky that way. But back to what we were talking about, like my daughter with her hand around my bicep, I decided, all right, I'm going to do these three moves, three minutes. I'm going to start working out in my gym, in my garage. I had some weights. You know, if you remember right when COVID happened, the gyms got shut down. Yeah. Everybody sold out of weights. Like Rogue didn't have any weights. You couldn't get it at what Sports Authority, I think, was still in business. Dix didn't have any weights. Like, so I had a weight set and I started doing stuff. And and within about um, uh, four weeks of doing some moderate exercise and some walking, nothing even really crazy, man. I started to see some definition. Yeah, my fitness coach had this six-week challenge that he was doing, and I'm like, I'm going to enter the challenge, uh, see how I do. I didn't win the challenge, but my body got a lot better, and I just stayed with it. And I've I've seen guys like you lose 100 pounds, right, Mm -hmm. through this process. I've seen myself, my body composition totally change. But the biggest thing is, like, I'm sitting in a chair right now. You're sitting in a chair right now. We do this for most of the day. Mm -hmm. Like, if you don't get up and move, man that's going to be problematic at our age. So I just, I, I needed to move for the energy. I wanted to work out looking good is definitely a side benefit. I mean, there's no question. I got great set of abs. I'm in great shape, but man, I got good energy. Uh, I feel the confidence level that you get when you start working out and, and, and you just feel better about how you feel mm-hmm. and look, it's, it's hard to, uh, describe until you've actually gone through it and it's kind of hard to put a price tag on it frankly there you go well the only reason i don't get up on the podcast is because when i do the podcast i'm naked from the waist down (laughs) nice get that joke in there i'm not really naked people stop it don't write me don't i was gonna have shorts on earlier i'm like no i stand up on this podcast i better i better put some pants that's actually a rule on this podcast everyone has to show up naked from the waist down you ever seen those like newscasters now and they have like the suit on and they're sitting in their little newscaster spot booth and they're in like shorts and flip-flops and you're just like that's i never thought al roker was doing that um But uh, uh, let me ask you this, because did you go through, was part of this some of the catharsis that many people went through during COVID, where they started to really reanalyze their life, their life choices? That's what I did. I was kind of, I went through a cathartic thing where going, hey, this can all disappear tomorrow. Um, 
maybe I should make some better choices. Maybe I should love the people around me. Maybe I should love myself a little bit better. Because that was one thing that went through my head. I was like, geez, if I get COVID, I'm really overweight. I'm not, I have been to the gym. Um, this stuff can get me. You know, you, you, you kind of didn't know how COVID was going to hit you if you got it. Did you go through any of that? Um, not to sound shallow, but no. Here's what I did go through, though. Um, so COVID created a tremendous amount of work for me as a landlord defending attorney, as you can imagine. So I was buried in work. So I didn't really have time to think long term. But I knew back to my kids, right? Because they're an inspiration for so much of, of what what I've done and the changes that I made. I knew that I wanted to be the example um, that I was trying to set for them. I couldn't tell them to go work out and go for a run if I wasn't working out and going for a run. I couldn't, I, I just didn't feel that I, I had the place to do that. I go to, you know, go to a lot of sporting events and you see a lot of parents that are not in the best shape and, you know, love to all my friends out there that I see at the softball fields and the volleyball tournaments. But man, you're asking your kids to to work out three or four times a week and to eat and put you know eat protein take creatine etc and you're not doing it i mean what are you doing you know set the example my my daughter the other day sit right over here she's doing her homework she's got ap classes you know advanced placement classes and so she's school all day then she goes to practice for two or three hours then she comes home and does homework and it's like 10 o'clock at night she's doing homework and i thought I, you know, sometimes I'm sitting on the couch watching television like our parents did, but then I think, you know, maybe I should sit down next to her and do some of my work. Like, oh, we're in this together. Set the example of, of what you're trying to get them to, to, to do, you know, and that, that more than anything is, is what um, prompted that change for me, you know, and then yeah, not, I didn't lose anybody that I knew because of COVID. I have some friends that had some friends that people just, they just fucking died quick, man. Yeah, and that's it's kind of crazy. Definitely said. Uh, you you alluded to something there, that I want to touch on. You you talked about setting example as a father and working hard and and doing the right thing with your daughters. And and a lot of people don't realize that. I think sometimes till later, and maybe either parent or some don't get it at all. That it's the example you set. It's what you do, not what you say. That children get off of you. That's what they they image. They mirror. Uh, as you, as example, as, as a as father's important role with daughters, but also parenting and everything else, they they mirror all that stuff. And a lot of parents, you know, they go, "Hey, uh, don't don't tell lies," and then you know, they get caught telling lies. You know, don't swear, and then you swear. You know, you, you, your kids figure out if you're full of shit or not, and whether you're not a hypocrite, and then they mirror their lives based upon that. So I think it's great that you recognize that, and you're like, "Hey." You know, be a good example to my uh, daughters. Thank you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, you're, you're, I'm in my room in my little office in my house, and you can see a poster that says grit, execution, mindset over there somewhere. I can't mm -hmm. really got the mirror thing. Right so they see the example all the time, and, and yeah. so far it seems to be working. Yeah, they're great kids. Yeah. So. And, and, and to put a plug in here, I, I've lived for 35 years and I've dated women of all ages and all types. And I'm at a point now where I'm starting to see the end game of women's lives. Uh, and I got to tell you, growing a women that grow up with a father in the home who uh, sets an example as a good father, teaches them so much and completes them so much. And you can really see the fallout from not having a good father who set a good example. You can see the fallout from not having a father in the home. 
uh, you can see the whole life's arc of it. Um, decisions they make, the men that they seek. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm one of those people where, uh, you know, if it wasn't for the fact of bad parenting and bad fathers, I probably wouldn't get dates. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's just the thing. But it, it is true. You, I can, I can be on a date and be like, you didn't have a father when you when you grew up, did you? No, didn't. Yeah. Okay. The, and you can see the whole choices they made in their life. It's the same thing with sons, sons and mothers. It's the same thing. I've seen what mother abandonment is like for a son, the choices that he makes, the the, the women that he'll seek. Um, you can see all of it. I'm like a fucking psychologist of 35 years of dating. Probably I should just go get a degree. So I want to put that out as an advertisement to the father out there. Hug your daughters. Spend time with your daughters. You know, I had a lot of friends in the strip club business. Don't ask me how I got into that in Las Vegas. Uh, but I, I walked into a place. I thought it was a store. Anyway, I've had friends that own strip clubs, and they said, you know what, Chris? If it wasn't for bad parenting, we'd be out of business. So I always tell my father friends, hug your daughters, spend time with them, give them as much time as they need, be the dad, set a good example, because the father you are is the one that they go looking for. And if you're an awful father, you're bad, you're absentee, you don't hug enough, you don't spend enough time with them, guess what sort of guy they're going to go looking for? And then I get to see what their life's like at 55. Uh, so just an advertisement there. Um, so let's get on more with your journey we, uh, that you talked about in weight loss and getting schvelt, as it were. Yeah, sure. So uh, like I said, you know, I got a fitness coach. <clears throat> I was lucky. I found him on TikTok. He lives 20 minutes away from me. He's been on a hundred <laughs> magazine covers and he's been in the business for a long time. I think he's a fitness coach hall of fame. If there's such a thing, he's a name again is Clark Bartram. He's godfather. You know, Mike O'Hearn, weightlifter. Mike, Mike O'Hearn, Mike the Titan, his godfather to his kid. I mean, Clark Bartram, did you say? Yeah. Yeah. Google him. Okay. I'm doing that right now. I'm and so he, B A R T R A M, Bartram. T R A M. There we go. Okay. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Whoa. Holy shit. He's got like, uh, is that a 10 pack or an eight pack? That's probably a 10 pack. And he, he just seven, turned 60. Eight. He just he turned, turned 60. 60. I hate yeah. this guy already. <laughs> Actually, I probably should talk to him. Uh, yeah, this guy's killing it over there. Yeah, he's, dude, he's yeah. got an eight pack. Eight, maybe eight and a half, nine. Holy crap. So, yeah, he's, he's pretty inspirational. And he works with guys over, I mean, his, his niche is, is working with guys over 50. Uh, and um, just the results that I've seen over the last three years, uh, developing the lifestyle of, you know, I, I was up at four o'clock this morning mm. and I had a choice to make. And that choice was, all right, I can go back and try to get another hour's worth of sleep, which is going to totally fuck my day up and make yeah. me feel shitty if I don't get this going. Or I can just start walking downstairs towards the coffee machine and then I can go hit the gym and get my day going. And that's what I did. So, you know, it's, it's, it becomes, it's so funny. Like after I used to hate going to the gym, I don't know how you feel about that. Um, but at mm. some point, it's kind of like being sober, right? A switch flips. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, I love going. If I don't go for two or three days for whatever work or, you know, lower oh, back, I, like whatever, I, I miss yeah. it. And I feel like yeah. shit. And I, and I get myself back over there. Yeah. So really, it's just been a consistent effort. You know, you go to the gym today, you're not going to see the results really today. But if you stack them day after day, just like if you eat the Twinkie today, or you have that bag of chips or a half a pint of ice cream. You're not going to really see it today, but you will in the next few days. 
I mean, it, it's, you, it just becomes something that is important. And as you start to get um, a beneficial result uh, and the good feelings that go with it, you, know, you just tend to keep doing it. And that's what's worked for me for, gosh, three years yeah. now. I was at the gym at 4 a.m. this morning. In fact, I like to go in the middle of the night, early morning, because I'm one of the few people there, and, like, the gym is mine. And there's some yeah. kind of narcissistic, Machiavellian <laughs> thing that I like where I'm just like, yeah, I own all this stuff. I'm, I can do whatever I want. You don't, have, you don't have too many chicks there running around that your heads turn around, and you don't have any other guys that are, like, you know, outlifting you or anything. And you can get all your you can get all your machines. You don't have to wait for anybody. That's the other thing. I hate waiting for people to get off my machines or, you know, the, the weights are all. I got a nice gym. So, but yeah, sometimes you know I don't feel like going to the gym, and so what I do is I go. I make a bargain with myself. I go, okay, you don't want to go work out. You kind of feel a little mucky and whatever. Maybe you're sore. So we're gonna go to the gym, sit in the hot tub, or we're gonna sit in the sauna and meditate a little bit or we're going to sit in the massage chairs and sometimes i just need to sit in the massage chair like last night i i my back was all mucking up because i hadn't been for a day or two and uh so i went and sat in the massage chair and i felt like going and so then i went and did all my little things and uh and then i sat in the massage chair after and felt better sometimes that recovery you just need some recovery work is what you need and then it's weird. I'll go there and I'll feel, I'm like, I'm not going to lift anything. I'm just going to sit on a bench and sit in the sauna and just, I don't know, feel pity for my broken ass body. Um, and as soon as I get there, it's like the smell kicks in and your your body just like, it's like riding a bike. Your body just kicks in and goes, ah, I got to lift some weights. I, I, I got this. Yeah. All right. It's just like, there's kind of a, there's like a whole thing. You just kick in. And so I've kind of learned to do this Faustian bargain where I go, I go, hey, we'll just go to the gym and sit there. And then as soon as I show up, I know that the gears are going to kick in. And so it's just the habit. Showing up is half the battle. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. said that about the gym. Yeah, for sure. There's um, somebody was saying that the heaviest weight you're going to lift is the door to the gym. The front door, <laughs> the door, to, the door to the gym. I love that, dude. I'm going to put that on my fucking wall and get a shirt, man. Uh, the heaviest weight you're going to lift is the gym door. Yeah, it's and it's so interesting how my brain just kicks in. Like I'll I'll feel it. I'll I'll check in. I'll be like, oh man, and like crawling. You know, the first ten feet in, and then all of a sudden, like you know, the hallway that goes to the locker room. It's like brain kicks into gear so you've worked yeah. out you got the doughiness uh gone you need to update your uh you need to update your uh linkedin i gotta tell you because you got the george clooney sort of gray hair look going on you know the the, the girls love that silver fox thing going on you need to do that <laughs> you might want to keep your shirt on for that one though right yeah, yeah i don't know. think my employer would appreciate although yeah, you, you never know maybe, maybe we'll get a different kind of business we were different kind of way. get that gym business going on <laughs> So, uh, which is uh, interesting business. So, uh, one thing we do want to get a plug in here for that you support is you support prostate prostate cancer awareness. You're on a nonprofit board, even though you've never had it. Tell us about how you got involved in that. And why it's important to you? Sure. So, if you recall, ten minutes ago or so, you were looking at my fitness trainer, Clark Barger. Yeah. And looking at him, I mean, most he just turned sixty. Um, most people would think if you were going to pick a dude with prostate cancer, it's not going to be him. He was yeah. diagnosed with prostate cancer. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so um, we decided to, you know, really, he decided and asked me to be on this board. Hey, I'm going to put together this um, 
nonprofit to raise awareness. The way that he found out, he went in for his normal exam that, you know, you get the, get the finger um, and it was fine. But then he was checking his blood because in our fitness group, right, we do, you know, check your blood like every quarter or at least every six months, his PSA prostate specific antigen number was high. And his, his doctor's like, Hey man, you should probably go get this checked out. That number shouldn't be where it's at. And long story short, sure enough, he got diagnosed. I think he's stage two. Um, and so what we're trying to do is raise awareness and get guys to go get checked. In fact, the 501 C three corporation is called check it like a man. It was, I think originally going to be bend over and check it like a man, but that's probably probably a different story for, uh, uh, bend over and check it like a man give a good so if you go to check it it like a man.org you know you'll see we're raising some funds that other company you can set up in west hollywood and i'm sure (laughs) west hollywood southern california i know what you're saying (laughs) Uh, but one of the things that he came up with was a test there's a he didn't come up with we we partnered with a company that does a blood test this is going to sound kind of like theranos if you remember the lady from theranos one drop of blood they take six or seven drops of blood in two different little cards. You send it in and we check um, your PSA and then obviously your cholesterol, high density, low density, um, lipoproteins, your triglycerides, total testosterone, free testosterone, your cortisol, uh, your A1C. There's a bunch of things that they check, but specifically the most important thing to me is they check your prostate. So a kid comes home, you stab your finger, you drip a couple drops of blood, um, again, six to 12, just so we're clear. And then you send it out to this lab here in San Diego and they process it and they give you a read back. If you don't do that, do something, go tell your doctor. If you're over 50, for sure, you got to get a colonoscopy. If you pass it, you don't have to go back for 10 years. Right. Um, but you certainly don't want to ignore it and you got to get your PSAs checked. If you don't, bad things can happen next month, November, I think is like um, the testicular cancer, prostate cancer, where it's Men's Health Awareness Month. You can grow a mustache. Movember, they call it. We're just trying to wait, raise awareness. Uh, check it like a man.org or go to ClarkBartramSystems.com and you'll see the uh, you'll see the test or ClarkBartram.com and you'll see the in-home test. Get yourself checked, please, please. You owe it to your family. If you got kids, you owe it to your kids for sure. It's something you just got to do. So check it like a man.com org org. Oh, dot org. Check it like yeah. a man.org. Let me pull that up. Here. And for some reason you can't put in the www that sends you right to an error page. I don't know, but, um, do that or go to, like I said, clarkbartram.com and you'll see, you see a bunch of stuff about Clark, but you'll also see the at home testing kit. Okay. Uh, so, all right there. Uh, so, uh, pretty cool, man. Uh, yeah, this is important for guys our age. Uh, I think I'm getting checked for my, uh, testosterone levels here. Um, you had heard, we, we just had a, uh, young lady on the show. We were talking about this before this, uh, Dr. Christine Boev and, and I think her and a couple other people we had on this last week or so, uh, have made me convinced that I'm going to go finally check it and see if maybe that can push me through, um, some of the different, uh, issues I'm having with, uh, you know, I have to fast a long time and I, I'm getting a lot of insulin resistance and I was reading something or we had somebody on the show that actually 
if you're experiencing insulin resistance, it's really bad. It's a killer. No, we didn't have it on the show. There was a guy on uh, there was a guy on Sam Harris's podcast that I've tuned into now that I'm listening to his podcast, and he wrote a great book. We're trying to get him on the show, and uh, uh, he talked about insulin resistance and stuff. So um, I don't have a plug, but if you want to know what the plug is, write me afterwards, and I'll go look it up. But so this is this is your whole journey. You've reinvented yourself multiple times. You've changed your life. You're constantly improving. You're sending examples of Father. God bless you. Um, and uh, your daughters will never date me. Um, they'll, they'll see me coming. They'll be like, "No, that's not that's that guy's got issues." Um, <laughs> all the way around, it's going. Yeah, he's he's got some issues. Um, but uh, don't we all, though, kids? Uh, so there you go. Uh, final thoughts as we go out. Do you want to pitch people to sign up more for the prostate stuff? Uh, uh, do you want people to reach out to you if they need help with landlord work and, and things in that issue on, on your lawyer side? Uh, give I mean, I, I, I would say that being in sales, right? I'm not a big fan of pitching, but I would certainly say, Which look, if you, need some, if you need some help, thank you. If you need some help making career changes, hit me up on the Insta, Ed Schwartz 87. I'm happy to do that. Talk you through what I went through, but really get your prostate uh, specific antigen test done. Check that. Spend time with your kids if you haven't. And as far as career goes, ask yourself the question I asked myself, and that was, can I do this? Can I really do this job, whatever it is, whatever your career is, for the next 20, 30, 40 years? If the answer is no, get out. Get out now mm. while you still can. You're never too old to make the changes. I guarantee you, if you asked Chris and myself 30 years ago what 55 was going to be like, it, it, we feel much younger than we actually are. And we're looking at another 30 years at least of life ahead of us. So you got to make the most of it. Get out there, make some big changes. And thanks for tuning in. Yeah, and, and from your example, don't be afraid to make the big changes in life and, and do the big things, you know. I mean, throughout my life, I've looked at this. Do I really want to be doing this when I get old? I mean, uh, when I was when we started our first multimillionaire company at 22, uh, I looked at my business partner and I said, look, we have two choices. We can either climb the corporate ladder and hope that we do well and get one of those golden parachutes. And at 45, 50, we're starting trying to figure out how to start a company or we can do this now and in blood, sweat and tears, uh, make it work and <clears throat> hopefully it'll work. But, you know, we can afford to take the loss if we, you know, we're 22. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I looked at my business partner. And I go, I don't know that I can do this at, at uh, you know, having a wife and kids at 50, 55. And, and, and uh, you know, I'm looking at my old man and seeing what, you know, he's feeling it. And uh, fortunately, I'm doing much better than my old man was at 55, knock on wood. Um, he, uh, we, I guess we live different lives somehow, which is weird because I drank for 20 years and he didn't drink a dime, uh, anything. <laughs> um, but uh, I maybe had a little more fun than he did. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, that's the, big, that's the big gig in the sky. I guess we'll see where he's at. But I know I'm much better off than he was. But, you know, this is this is the great journey of life, the reinvention of yourself. And, you know, a lot of your stories, people are scared to make these changes. And they're scared to um, say, hey, I want to make changes. In fact, I know some guys that, you know, if they start going to the gym, their, their wives start freaking out. They're like, you're going to leave me. And so uh, it's sometimes hard. You know, people try and, in relationships, people try and keep you in the box because it's safe, you know. And once you start operating in the box, they're like, oh, oh, 
uh, it's, it's, you know, this is going to end, this is on the way out, you know, whatever. So it's good. And then your advice for health, man. Uh, I, I tell, I tell everybody, don't do what I did. Don't eat all the shit. Don't gain all the pounds. Yeah, trying to fight back at 55 is so fucking hard. It is so hard. And yeah, I can, I can do everything right every day and stuff, but it's still, it's still hard to drag back. Like I can't go ever back to eating three meals a day. I just can't. Body's just like, fuck you. Okay, there's 10 pounds. Have fun with that, buddy. And that's not eating bad. That's just eating three meals a day and not not intermittent fasting. My my body just just was like, maybe maybe someday, maybe if I get on testosterone, maybe I can get back to where I could, you know, maybe have breakfast in the morning, but not anymore. So please, don't be like me, folks. Poster child right here. <laughs> I know, I know a bunch of ladies who have my picture on their wall, and, and then there's written over is, don't be like this guy. Don't date this guy. <laughs> you set the example by having them not be the example. Right? I do. <laughs> well, the, the beautiful thing is I, I, as I teach people what bad guys are like so that good guys like you, they go, oh, crap, we should, we should marry this guy because this guy is straight and, and he's not a fuck-up like Chris Voss. So there you go. There's got to be, you know, somebody's got to be the dark, the dark triad, uh, narcissistic, uh, uh, bad horse to make people appreciate what good men are like. Um, anyway, uh, so thanks for coming to the show. We really appreciate it, Edwin. Uh, Final.com as we go out once again. I know we got our plug in there earlier, but let's just bookmark it properly in the show at the end. Yeah, sure. Go to um, ClarkBartram.com and you'll see the link for the PSA test kits. And then if you need to get a hold of me, you can DM me on Instagram at Ed Schwartz. That's E-D-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z 87. And LinkedIn is Edwin Schwartz. And you only got one life, Chris. Every second counts. Got to make the most of it. It does. Be present, too. I think that's a big thing. So there you go. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Edwin. Uh, thanks to our audience for tuning in. Uh, you, boy, you guys got a lot of great stories and data out of this. Uh, go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Voss, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Voss, and Chris Voss won on the tickety talkity. I've actually thought about having the opera singer that we hired last week do these plugs because I'm tired of doing them, but. I don't think anyone's going to understand what the hell she's singing because it's kind of operatic. So we might figure out some way to do that. If someone comes up with an idea, write me. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.